morning and welcome to Driving Theology. <clears throat> this is Mike and it is something like December the 6th, 6th, 5th, 5th, I think it's December the 5th. Um, it's a Wednesday morning and I'm heading off to the uh, kindergarten that I go to that's about 40 minutes away and uh, talking to you wonderful people during this Advent season. It's the, uh, this week is the second week of Advent, depending on how you count, I suppose. Well, last week on uh, Thursday, uh, we had a small gathering at our house like usual, and we lit our first Advent candle, uh, which was hope. And we read some of the uh, Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah uh, about how of Israel out of their out of their misery or fear or pain uh, cried out for the Lord uh, and their hope uh, was in God to rescue them like he had always done uh, which usually entailed raising up a uh, able leader who was more or less willing to uh, follow the will of God, <clears throat> more or less, I see, because some were a lot less than others, <laughs> and none were probably perfect, uh, but there were six or seven times uh, between Moses and Jesus, um, closer to Moses because there was a, there was a long 490-year exile, um, but uh, there were six or seven periods where uh, the people of Israel would be in a, in a good state, would be in a good, uh, a good, good position. Good, good. Uh, you know, people were being fed, people were happy, people were worshiping God, and then slowly they would turn their back on Yahweh. Uh, and then they would uh, reach out to the gods uh, who were in the land before they got there, who the neighboring uh, peoples worship, and start worshiping those gods. Some calamity would come upon them, whether they would be, uh, they would lose a big battle, or they would uh, um, lose part of Israel, uh, or um, something bad would happen. And then the people would repent, they would uh, put on sackcloth and ashes on their head, and they would turn back to Yahweh, uh, and he would raise up uh, a kind of a Christ or a Messiah to, to step in and to save them from the, basically the position that they had gotten into because of their infidelity. the Old Testament tells the story. And this is an ongoing narrative that, that repeats itself, uh, I want to say seven times, but I, I don't know, six or seven times. Uh, some of the uh, heroes to rise up um, were, of course, I'd say in the beginning, I suppose Joshua fits the bill, uh, I'm not sure about that, but Deborah, she's one. Um, uh, Joseph.
Messiah, of course, is one. Uh, Jephthah, I think, is one. Um, I don't know how the Saul, David, Solomon uh, kings fall into that category exactly. Uh, I know that the people, I don't know what position I'd have to look again. My, my assumption is that they were, they were in sin when they called out for Samuel and, and God to give them a king, a human king. But I think Samuel actually may fit that bill. Samuel may have been, may have risen up. I think he was a judge uh, as well as a prophet <clears throat> who was then replaced by Saul and later by David. Sorry, I got a cough right now. <coughs> hmm. Better. I'm getting better with my cold, but still in the morning sometimes I have a little bit of something going on. Uh, and so... This happened many times in the in the in the uh, Israelites' history. This pattern just repeated itself over and over. They would um, they would be seemingly doing great, and then perhaps take that for granted, um, and then before they knew it, um, they had slidden into idolatry and sin. And then the calamities from that idolatry and sin came upon them, and they cried out to God, and He saved them. This happened, let's just call it seven times. That's a nice biblical number. Uh, and so Christmas, the birth of Christ, the incarnation of God, God come in the flesh, uh, is represents the, the final solution, the once-for-all uh, solution of God, which basically entailed God not raising up a man, but God coming to earth as a man, and God becoming king, which is why today we still say Christ is Lord, because that solution was final. Uh, there was not going to be other <clears throat> other Israeli messiahs other than Jesus. He was the, the last and the final and the best. Uh, and the one to which all the others pointed. Uh, and so Isaiah, some of Isaiah, um, talks, uh, Isaiah writes about how um, the Messiah would come. And I think this is actually before the people go into is the exile. Um, somewhat before they go into exile, but he was foreseeing that this was, that, that the pattern was repeating itself, uh, perhaps, and that um, God would finally take care of it once for all. And so, of course, we have the, the, uh, the passages in Isaiah 52, 53, uh, 51, 52, 53, right in there, um, of the coming Messiah. <coughs> And so we talked about that because in, in that final Messiah, because all of the previous lesser Messiahs had really failed to bring lasting peace and obedience to the people of Israel, that, that this final one, that God was preparing a final solution that would uh, finally do what the people hoped for, um, there was great hope put into the Messiah. 
even though the people were without the presence of of Yahweh in the temple for some 490 years during that time they knew it right they they understood that his presence wasn't there they knew the difference the Shekinah right they knew the difference um, between the presence of God being in the temple and the presence of God not being in the temple um, they that was something that you know was obvious to them and there wasn't any uh, <clears throat> sugarcoating the reasons <clears throat> that we can find um, but there was a lot of patience and certain people were, were very patient and they come out in the, I believe the, in Luke uh, maybe Matthew I have to check again but you have two people two very old people who waited at, and prayed at the temple uh, anticipating the coming Messiah <clears throat> uh, the first one was Anna a, a prophetess and I believe a widow uh, and the other oh, this is gonna uh, and then I think his name was Ananias actually but not uh, not the same Ananias as Ananias and Sapphira but uh, an old man I think it, I think it was Ananias I, I need to check that again um, and so <clears throat> these two people when Jesus came to the temple on his eighth day uh, as was the custom they they recognized him when he came in fact as far as we can tell they're the only two people aside from Mary and Joseph who knew what was going on who knew that this baby was the hope of Israel uh, and that he would bring peace um, and so this this week uh, we go into peace for Advent um, now interestingly enough there are some correlations to, to be drawn maybe between all societies but certainly between uh, the first century uh, or turn of the century let's say uh, Jews um, turn of the century is not quite right but anyway, anyway second temple Judaism let's just say that that's a, it's a broader term that I think still encapsulates the people I'm talking about but there was a correlation between them uh, and us by and large today and by us I mean I'm just gonna say evangel evangelical Americans uh, and that is we will all give lip service to the idea of peace but for whatever reason Jesus has no, had no effect on us because we still think peace comes by the sword right we still think peace comes by the sword whether that's in the judicial system or or uh, when nations go to war against nations right um, somehow <clears throat> we think that peace only comes through uh, violence and if Jesus taught us nothing else it's that his peace does not come through violence so you may you may call something peace, uh, and you may liken it to say the you know Pax Romana, right? Roman peace. But Roman peace came through uh, brutal uh, extortion uh, and war on the people they 
proposed to bring peace to. That's how they brought peace, was by the sword. And so the people of the first century, uh, or Second Temple Judaism, uh, the people that were in Israel time when Jesus was born were looking for a Messiah to come like the other messiahs who would be a great military leader and would lead Israel's armies to victory against the oppressing uh, pagans Rome namely at that time they were waiting for a Messiah to come and do that um, <clears throat> and I have to say that there is, there is some uh, language that Jesus uses, or he's recording as having been used, uh, that sometimes makes us go, hmm, right? Uh, for example, at one point, Jesus is quoted as saying, uh, I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. But other places, Jesus is quoted as having said, I, I have come that you may have life, right? Um, and so, there seems to be a conflicting uh, opinion about what the nature of the peace that Jesus brings, right? Uh, but I think, I think there's several things to consider in that. Uh, number one, you have to look at the record we have of Jesus, and we don't have a violent record. We have one instance of him turning over tables uh, and driving out animals, but we don't have any instance ever of him striking a person. In fact, we have many, many, many instances of him healing people, including enemies. Um, and so, we don't see that Jesus ever attempted to, to violently bring his peace. In fact, his peace, obviously, no one can deny this, his peace was self-sacrifice and suffering. His, he brought peace by being the innocent sufferer. Uh, and so, he was not the Messiah that people were looking for, but he was the only Messiah that could bring lasting peace, and the only lasting peace was to be achieved through, again, innocent suffering. Um, and that innocent suffering, uh, what it did was, was gave us a cruciform idea of who God is. Who is God? Does God, is God mad at me? Is God tired of me? Is God, does God want to punish me? Does he delight in punishing uh, sinners because None of us can do anything but sin, it seems like. And so, who is this God uh, that I uh, supposedly serve? And so, when God comes and dies on the cross, that gives us a, a complete picture of who God is. Our God is a sin-bearing, suffering servant. That's our God. He's forgiveness. He is love. He is inclusion. He is acceptance. Uh, he is not violent. He is not hate. Um, and so, in that picture, we see peace. Because now we can be at peace. If that's who our God is, that he would bear the sins of the world, 
uh, and nail them to the cross, then we are completely forgiven. Completely. All of us, everyone, for everything, from the lightest to the heaviest, uh, most malevolent sins, we are forgiven of those. God has bore our sins on the cross. And therefore, we can have peace. And that peace has to do with us not having to live a life of shame and guilt, but rather of confidence in the fact that Jesus has done his job well and completely, and there's nothing left to be done. Uh, we can live our lives in peace, regardless of things done to us, <clears throat> physical or, or mentally or otherwise, and regardless of our performance as quote-unquote followers of Jesus or Christians. And there is great peace in that, and I feel like I'm finally starting to discover that peace. <clears throat> finally. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but I'm starting to realize that um, my shame is evidence of my lack of confidence in the sacrifice of Christ. My shame is evidence of my lack of confidence in the sacrifice of Christ. Your shame is evidence that you don't believe Jesus did his job well. Um, <clears throat> and so getting even a little bit of that peace alleviates some of the, the shame and guilt that we feel. Uh, from not being able to live up to the example of Christ uh, and gives us peace. It, it takes the burden away, right? Uh, Jesus said, um, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, he doesn't want us to be heavy burdened. Come unto me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Right? When we come to Jesus, what we're meant to receive is rest with so many of us. When we turn on Jesus, we don't go all the way to rest. We, we stop at, at our own performance, which is nothing but guilt producing. And so the peace that the people of Israel were expecting, which was political, uh, national peace, <clears throat> Jesus didn't bring. He brought something much better, which was peace for the entire world, uh, if they would but see it. Uh, it's, well, it's peace for the entire world anyway, um, in the long run, I think. Uh, but we don't see that. And so today, fast forward to uh, 2000, uh, almost 19, 2018. Uh, Today we still feel like the only way to peace is through war and punishment, right? If somebody attacks you, a country needs to attack back. And this becomes not just something that happens on a political level, it, it happens on a personal level too. Whether it's verbal attacks or physical attacks, we feel like we have to defend ourselves, right? We feel even, even a right to defend ourselves and, and, and that with lethal force sometimes which has nothing to do with the peace of Jesus. 
Richard Rohr, uh, I'm going to totally botch up this quote. I always do. It's a long quote, so uh, your patience is appreciated. Uh, I posted this yesterday in Facebook. I shared it. Somebody else posted it. I shared it. Uh, and it's something I've actually seen of Richard Rohr before, but it's just so uh, concise and important. Uh, basically, oh, I'm going to mess this up. I shouldn't even have thought about it until I had it in my head. Let me go backwards through the quote. This may help. Um, his final thing is that this silliness <clears throat> just won't won't do anything in this in this world today. And the silliness he's talking about is assuming that we can have change through violence, or or assuming that that violence is still okay. And he says there are many Christians who. Even though they believe Jesus changes their life, oh, he starts off with saying, okay, he starts off with saying, Christianity is a lifestyle. It's meant to be a new lifestyle, a way, a way for you to live and be in the world. And that is through sharing and giving and forgiveness and love, that, that that's, the, that's the way that Jesus wants us to be in the world. And yet so many of us, even though we turn to Jesus, uh, we we do so in a religious way. An established religion has given us a way to supposedly belong to Jesus while not changing our lifestyle and still living in the world violently and selfishly, um, murderously, uh, what, what, what have you. We can still live in the world that way and justify it politically uh, while, while calling Jesus our Lord and Savior. I'm getting a little closer to the quote now. <clears throat> but he said that silliness simply won't stand in, in the world today. You know that he said down through the down through history, people have done this. They've not been transformed. Their lifestyle has not changed, even while they've supposedly remained loyal to Jesus. Their their lifestyle did not change from before they knew Jesus. They maintain their same lifestyle, their same personality, their same, their same human way of being in the world uh, while supposedly claiming Jesus as their Lord. Um, and so if we're not living in the world in a giving, forgiving, caring, selfless, sharing, loving way, then, then we don't belong to Jesus. I think it's as simple as that. We, we know nothing of Jesus. Um, we may know somebody who is a historical figure who is the mascot of our team, uh, you know, the, the, the Christians or the Catholics or the Evangelicals or the Protestants or the Baptists or whatever, whatever you call your team. You may know Jesus as the mascot, but you don't know him because you don't, you don't live like him. You, you've missed the point. You've not received his peace. <clears throat> and so this second week of Lent, as we as we begin to contemplate the peace uh, that that comes with with God taking on flesh, uh, I think we it's a great time for us to look in the mirror and to evaluate how we are existing in this world. Are we really uh, 
striving for peace, trusting in our normal way of getting it, which is through, you know, force and punishment, violence. just like the Pax Romana, right? The Roman peace that was ushered in by the sword. Or, or are we truly living in the world in peace? Peace with our neighbors, peace with our, our, our family, uh, peace with our enemies, uh, peace with everybody around us. Are we, are we living in the world um, in the way that Jesus was in the world? Doesn't mean we can't speak truth to power doesn't mean we can't um, uh, challenge authority, right? That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus did both of those things. Um, but he did it without being unloving, without being uncaring, without being violent. Everything he did uh, was through love. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and so, you know, this, this Advent, um, if, if you follow those things, this is fairly new to me, I've only done it probably three or four years, but, uh, one week you contemplate hope, and then peace, and then love, and then joy, uh, as you contemplate Jesus becoming flesh, and then events surrounding what we call Christmas. Um, take a look in the mirror. How, how are you, has your lifestyle changed? Are you, are you acting in the world as a mere human? Or is the Holy Spirit acting through you in ways in which, uh, big or small, you resemble the Christ in whom you purport to follow? Um, believe it or not, you can have peace in your suffering. Um, you can have peace as people are being violent toward you. And you can exude peace through all of this. Uh, peace is, a, is an important um, way to be in the world, I believe. If we're going to bear the name of Christ. If we're not, well, of course, why would we be peaceful? Uh, there is no peace except through Christ. Uh, and if people are being peaceful, it's Christ in them. I truly believe this. This is another idea which we haven't really uh, dug into much, an idea of the cosmic Christ. You know, in what ways... In what ways does Christ continue to work in all of his creation, uh, even with people uh, who, for whatever reason, have found his truth without maybe knowing his name? <clears throat> in what way does he work through them? In what way is, the, is and has the cosmic Christ uh, worked in creation uh, since the time of Jesus? Um... Yeah, so happy Advent and Merry Christmas. Uh, if you do celebrate Christmas, I hope that uh, you find a way to make it um, 
meaningful and, and, and Jesus focused uh, and in ways that Jesus speaks to and encourages his attributes in you to grow and to bloom uh, and to bear fruit and I think that's what I want for all of you and what I hope you want for me um, I'll keep it short and sweet